Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to the first Safina Society podcast. My name is Mu'in. I'm one of the students here at Safina Society and I'm here with my teacher Dr. Shadi Al-Masri. And today we're going to be having a light conversation. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to have uh, Dr. Shadi give a small introduction to himself and a little bit about Safina Society. So Grab some coffee, grab some tea, and why don't you join us for some light conversation today? So, inshallah, here's Dr. Shadi. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Allahumma salli wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Well, um, I'm originally from New Jersey, and I started seeking knowledge uh, probably when I was pretty young, 12 and 14, some Mashaykh came. And I started very lightly, but I was very interested in, in the lifestyle uh, of scholars from a very young age and then eventually at around 17, 18 uh, started studying and, and, and didn't look back and you're always continuing to study uh, the resources weren't much so even until now uh, I'm still you know, studying uh, I have teachers uh, once and twice a week uh, with whom I, I still continue studying uh, in 2013 in 2012, I came to New Brunswick Islamic Center start teaching. And really what I wanted to do is have an institute for traditional Islamic knowledge. So uh, they were generous enough to allow me to incubate Safina Society, which is the, our, our organization, inside of MBIC. So that's the situation we're in right now. Safina Society is an, an organization dedicated to disseminating traditional Islamic knowledge live and online as well. And there have been a lot of uh, uh, people asking for a podcast uh, so I started looking into to, to, to what podcasts are all about, uh, you know, what works, what doesn't. And here we are uh, doing one. So, inshallah, you know, people could benefit from it. So thank you, Dr. Shadi, for the introduction and the kind words. So, inshallah, you know, there's some things, I, there's lots of things I'd like to talk about on this podcast. But, you know, one thing that, you know, for me personally been bothering me is, you know, what can I do about my spiritual situation in terms of how I'm feeling based on recent events that have been happening in the world? So, you know, there's just lots and lots of carnage and I would say, you know, fitna and evil that's going on in the world and sometimes I just feel like an emptiness inside and I don't know what to do. Uh, what do you think, you know, you know, how, do, how, do, how do I deal with this? Well, uh, firstly, the news is actually really bad. The news is really negative. Uh, the news itself is not a neutral thing. So uh, I actually don't watch a lot of news, believe it or not. Uh, you get the BBC pop-ups. If you, if you watch a lot of news, you're going to be very depressed. And increasingly, if you just don't mind your business, if you're in, involved in anything, you can get really depressed by the state of things uh, in the world today. But Muslims... Uh, young youth amongst the Muslims, their default setting, if they start looking into things, if they're not connected to uh, an imam or a scholar who could, could show them the ropes of the world okay, and, and, and navigate the meanings of the Qur'an and the uh, sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, your default setting is going to be confused, right? It's, it's, not, it's very complicated. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, whoever lives... Long after me, okay, we'll see much difference. There's going to be a lot of groups. There are going to be a lot of opinions. There's going to be a lot of differences, okay? A lot of breakups uh, between groups. A lot of disputation. So we constantly have these types of uh, uh, times of confusion, 
right? And this is why uh, the real the solution to all these things is constantly going back to knowledge. And people, even that itself, the path of knowledge itself is confusing because you're going to be told there are three, four paths and each path is telling you the other is right and the other is wrong or one is right and one is wrong, right? And they're mutually exclusive. So you're going to be further more confused. So really, if we're going to agree uh, that knowledge is uh, of prime import to understand the world, okay, uh, then we have to understand how to seek knowledge. And we're going to tell you, you have to follow living scholars. So then we need to go further and see, well, what, which living scholar? There are so many living scholars. And from this, we have from the prophet, peace be upon him, okay, from the prophet, peace be upon him, uh, that he said, the, scholar, the living scholar is the one who you see him, you remember Allah. If you see him, you remember Allah. We also know that in Surah Yusuf, it tells us, Above every scholar is a greater scholar, which means the sign of a true scholar is that he has teachers. He has greater teachers above him. Right? He, didn't, he doesn't wing it. you got a lot of people out there today. They're just winging it. They're not part of anything. They don't have teachers. They don't have mashayikh. They're not connected to any tradition of scholarship. So how do we know if their judgments are right or wrong if they don't have a teacher? Okay? How do we know anything? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. So, you know, for, you know, for, for me at Safina Society, it's, it's been easier to come in contact with teachers and, and, and get to know more people. But... You know, before I came here, it was very difficult to really get in touch with the right teachers and to learn the right knowledge. And I would say the majority of people today don't even know where to start, right? Where do you get the right teacher? Who do you contact? And let's say if we were to focus our, you know, range down, let's just take the average Muslim. What is the average Muslim supposed to do? That's, this, is, this is a good question because um, how do you start? And in anything, really, just getting your foot in the door is the biggest accomplishment. I remember myself being totally confused. All right, I, I loved scholarship and knowledge, but didn't know that our Ummah was as divided and broken up as it is, which is prophesied. So uh, yeah, I mean, the Prophet told us that this is going to happen, which gives a person comfort. Because when you see a problem, and there you have your Prophet, peace be upon him, telling you that he's telling you that this is going to happen, that means he's also giving you an antidote to it, right? A solution to it. All right, he recognizes it, so you know this pro prophet, peace be upon him, he's not with us today, but his prophecies are living amongst us today. We see it in front of our own, our own two eyes. So uh, uh, the way I began was I asked myself, what access do I have? And that is Allah. So we're done. You have Allah, right? And we have a dua that is the dua that will deliver you. All right, to the scholarship that is going to be true. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan wa rizukna tiba'a wa arina al-baatir al-baatir wa rizukna chitinaba. This is a dua that should be said in the last third of the night in the prayer, in the sajda, with tadarra, with desperation, whenever a, a, a person is confused about the truth. Whenever an individual doesn't know, all right, and fitna is... Not, fitna has a couple meanings. Number one, it's temptation. Number two, it's killing, right? And the third definition of it is when the truth and falsehood are confused. Right? When the truth and falsehood are confused, right? And, 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 and uh, a person doesn't know truth from falsehood, at that point, that's what we call fitna, right? We call that fitna, and this dua is supposed to clear up the fitna. On top of that, you have in the Quran, okay, alright? Uh, and we know we have 
This ayah which states, whoever has taqwa, Allah will show a way out for him. This is in everything, in knowledge, in wealth, in, in any situation, whoever has taqwa, Allah will show him a way out. Okay? Uh, whoever has taqwa, right? And we, the Prophet peace be upon him said, whoever acts upon what Allah uh, taught him, then Allah will give him more knowledge directly from himself. And that knowledge directly from himself is not anything new. It's understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Okay? Or it, whenever you have a, a dilemma, uh, what is this right or is that wrong? So most people out there, they are suffering from this and will continue because as new events come, you get more confused by new events where there's no precedent on these events. So even the contemporary scholars will be differing. And by the way, in America, you have very few scholars. You have advanced students of knowledge, right? So even in America, don't say, oh, these are scholars. You have advanced students of knowledge. We also have, we have to recognize that. Okay, advanced students of knowledge. That means they're be susceptible to mistakes, and they have to have teachers that they go back to. All right. As much as there is a movement now to just say, all right, let's develop our own scholarship. How are you going to develop scholarship when you don't even have scholars in the first place? Absolutely, absolutely. You have to have. There has to be a constant go back and forth, and the advanced student of knowledge is going to be wise enough to recognize what part of his teacher's teachings are. Uh, uh, relevant to his location, right, and which part were are, are absolute, right, to every location. So could, could you could you repeat the the dua for us once again? The, the dua is Allahumma adina al-haqqa haqqa wa rizqna tibah wa adina al-baatila baatila wa rizqna jtinaba, which means Oh Allah, show me the truth as truth, right, and give and bless me with the ability to follow it, and show me falsehood as falsehood, and give me the ability to avoid it. And we avoid falsehood, right? Some people out there, uh, yeah, Islam is not a, a, a type of free-for-all operation. If once you know that something is a, a, a falsehood, right, the proponents of that falsehood, we are taught to stop listening to them completely, right? Yeah, someone with a complete heresy in the deen, why? You're going to confuse yourself, right? You're going to confuse yourself. You're going to be confused, okay? And you're going to end up going in circles, Okay, and the if you had any other discipline, in any other discipline, you spend a long time choosing which university you go to, and then you stick to it. You don't switch every two years. You don't take a class here and a class there. You don't uh, switch out after freshman year, and then after sophomore year, switch to another school. Trainers, if you're gonna get a trainer, you're gonna think very hard on who is the right trainer. Okay, you go and spend a little time with this person, a little time with the next person, a little time with the third person, and then you figure out which trainer, right, is going to suit you, and you stick with them. The people who switch and go back and forth, these are the least, the last people to learn, right, or the last people to attain, attain anything. You need consistency in all disciplines. So imagine now the most important discipline, the discipline with uh, a lot of uh, detail. Uh, the discipline with the most on the line, there's, we have heaven and hell on the line, right? So uh, a person should spend a lot of time first asking the question of from whom do we take our deen, right? What are the signs of people? We said the first sign is if, you see, if you're in their presence, you remember Allah Azza wa Jal. The second sign, all right, uh, is above this person is another scholar. Which means, and above that scholar is another scholar, and above that scholar is another scholar. What do we call that? Isnad, a chain of transmission, right? He's not coming out of the blue. So this is a very important subject, the subject of who do we learn from. Right, and, 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 it's, and not only is it important, but it, it's a problem that's occurred that I see regularly. You know, there's 
So I'll give you an example. You know, when I when I was in uh, college, you know, when I was learning knowledge for the first time, what I encountered was mediocre students of knowledge almost, but I didn't know anything, right? I, I was a novice. And so when somebody would tell me something, I would take it at face value and I would assume that this is correct knowledge. And I see this a lot when it comes to universities, MSAs, a lot of different areas. And what comes there is also almost a an arrogance of knowledge and and and, and a refusal to, to learn from the right teachers. How would you, th- you know, what advice would you give for... You there know? are a couple things that you touched on there. A couple of important things. The first thing is that uh, not a lot of people are taught epistemology, which is quite simply the question of what determines truth, right? Uh, or if you want to, if even simply, some journalistic, if you want to call it, journalistic... Uh, uh, ethics or values or, or criterion of uh, what is your source, right? In the court of law, if a lawyer says something, makes a claim, he's got to back it up with a source, okay? All of uh, knowledge is one of two things, either transmission or uh, uh, had, right? Transmission or a self-thought-of theory, right? A theory from yourself. If it's transmission, فَالصِحَة We ask الصِحَة We ask you all right, how, why should we trust the person that you're transmitting from? Who did you get your information from? I teach my kids, actually, they come and they tell me things, things that happen. I ask them, who told you this? Oh, so-and-so on the playground. All right, you, you got to learn a little lesson here called, who is your source, right? But that's not, a trust, that's not an acceptable source. Right, right, absolutely. So secondly, if it's ijtihad, then what's your evidence? So the first thing that I want to bring people's attention to, when you hear things about the deen, the first question to ask, who did I hear this from? Because a lot of times people make claims that aren't even true, okay? And because maybe they look like a reputable source, or we didn't even think of the concept of questioning the source, okay? So you got to always question the source. This is number one. Secondly, all right, secondly, uh, is the issue of arrogance. Knowledge is uh, as valuable as it is, it can be used as a wield. Shaitan can wield it against a person. Right? And this is why in traditional Islamic knowledge, we'd never separate between knowledge and piety. All right? Knowledge and the acts of ritual worship and the service of the community and the service of the family. The ulama in the past, the sahaba, the ulama, all the people of the past, they never separated the agenda of knowledge or the institution of knowledge from the whole path of life. All right, and the path of salvation with Allah, the two aren't separate. And unfortunately, the university setting does separate that. Right? You can't d- deny that the university separating setting doesn't do this. The university setting right, does not have a concept of incorporating your knowledge, of staying humble, of passing your knowledge on to others, of making sure your knowledge is of benefit for your afterlife. Absolutely. What you do with your knowledge is never even brought up. Right? So this is one of the problems is where uh, when, when knowledge becomes the setting of knowledge, the actual setting of where learning takes place tells you immediately a lot about what you're going to get as a result. So I, I'm actually a big believer that behaviors are determined before anything happens with just the setting, right? Just the setting of how uh, this learning is taking place will indicate to you immediately how it can be used or misused. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned a few times uh, 
traditional knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think I understand exactly what traditional knowledge is, but what's the, what's the real difference between, you know, modern knowledge versus traditional knowledge? Okay, that's a good question. Now, when we talk about traditional knowledge, I can tell you what I mean by it. What I mean by traditional knowledge is that which is passed on in which there is a sacred that is recognized. The first thing in any concept of the word tradition is the word sacred. A sa- something sacred is recognized and agreed upon and guarded. Okay? Then it's passed down. It's passed down. And the, the passing uh, down of the baton, right, is as sacred as the baton itself. The way it's passed down, to whom it's passed down, the whole process... Where if we say modern, we're going to remove the word sacred, right? And we're going to replace it with the word mundane or secular, okay? So modern knowledge looks at these sacred traditions. So if you're going to study Islam, Judaism, Christianity at a university, you are basically taking a dead corpse and dissecting it. That's what it is. It's treated like a dead corpse. Whereas, if we're saying traditional Islamic knowledge, Islam is, let's say, personified by a baton, and it is a, a golden baton that is handed down from one teacher to his student. He has to check his student first and make sure his student is on the right path. I've never had a teacher who has never advised me of taqwa. I've never had a teacher who never asked me how my prayers were. They always ask, uh, are you at Fajr? Are you doing Fajr? Are you Fajr in the masjid? Are you doing these things? Okay. Uh, I've never had them not advise me if they see a mistake happening, Right. So they are checking, it's like having, a, 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 you could say, pure milk. You need to make sure the cup that you're pouring it into is pure. And the process of the transmission, how it's transmitted, is as valuable as the thing itself. This is what we mean when we're talking about traditional knowledge. The subject matter is sacred. We all agree upon that. The, uh, the guardian, which is the scholar of that sanctity, he himself is viewed differently than any other people. Allah tells us, Are the ones who know, are they equivalent to the ones who don't know? So that person who has, uh, Allah has entrusted him with keeping this knowledge sacred, okay, and guarding it, and spending his whole life reviewing it and studying it and make sure he's understanding, and make sure he's a sound vessel for it. He himself is an, a sign of Allah. This is why in traditional circles, we love our sheikhs. Right? We love them. We don't go astray in our love for sheikhs. Like some, uh, yeah, yeah, probably in this day and age it's a minority. But you do have groups out there who go astray in their love of a sheikh. We're not going astray in our love of a sheikh. Right? In America, I don't think that really exists very much. But maybe it does. But we, our sheikh is not just a professor. You know, He's not a professor. You're going to sit in his class with your PJs on and your feet in front of him. And he's just whatever he says is just a guy who read a little bit more than you. That's what a professor is. He's a guy no different than you, right? In his moral and ethical character. He just read a little bit more than you, right? That's all he is. A sheikh is not. A sheikh is someone who is guarding himself because he's a, va- a vessel of this knowledge. He has to be an upright example. And I myself, every year, every day, I look at myself and check myself because even though I'm just a student and but I'm still passing knowledge on and every day I look at myself is this the behavior of someone and you got to fix yourself and you make mistakes and the mistake it's an embarrassment to make I'm not saying mistake in knowledge I'm saying mistakes in akhlaq right I've made mistakes with people 
right? Been harsh with people. But I go back to myself and say, look, is this, you're, you're not a, this is not a university class. You just, no one cares. No, people look at your akhlaq, right? People look at your character. People look at your prayer in the masjid. People look at your behavior. So teaching this knowledge, if you become a teacher in any way, shape, or form, right, in the traditional pietistic setting, you are the first person who's going to improve because every day you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, is this the behavior of someone who's passing on the hadith of Rasulullah? Is this the behavior of someone who's teaching people uh, fiqh and, and spirituality and tasawwuf and ulum al-Qur'an and tafsir? Uh, yani it's a contradiction. So this is the big the meaning of when we say traditional knowledge versus uh, secular knowledge. See, my thing was, right, when I was at university, and I, and I could probably say this a lot about a lot of other people, right, the bigger concern isn't the deen, right? Of course. Yeah. It's, 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 it's yeah. unfortunately just... That's just not on many people's yeah. minds. And the reason why a lot of people are at MSA are mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Yeah. And, and, the, and the dean is really just one of and those you know, reasons. You know who I feel benefits the most from... Uh, you know who I feel benefits the most in these MSAs? Is uh, once someone has a, a, a tribulation and a trial... I look at MSAs and I see the people who have had trials and tribulations. These are the people who benefit the most, right? In college, you go into college, you get something happens, you're, you're not used to the environment, all these things, right? And then you go into maybe uh, a type of crisis. You're in crisis mode. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you believe, right? You're now, uh, th- all these ideas are thrown at you. I see these college kids every day and... They're always looking for something, right? Right. And a lot of them, right, when they have a, uh, especially if they have a Muslim origin to them, right, if they have Muslim families, okay, then they uh, they know where to go. So they start coming back to the masjid. They start coming back to, uh, uh, coming back to Allah, studying the seer of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So a lot of people who have a type of existential crisis in college, Right? And they start wondering why they exist, or what are they doing, or how they're supposed to live, and they start coming back. Unfortunately, a lot of people have this, but there are people out there, there are groups fighting for your soul. There are groups fighting for your kids' souls, right? And they want, their, your, they want you on their side, and they want your kids on their side. Everyone, you go to university, and a hundred groups are going to pull you, right? So which one are you going to go to? That's why we have to have our youth have to be grounded, Right? I have a class in Safina Society called Dean Essentials, and all it is is preparation for the polemics right? and the aqidah pitfalls and what they're going to be presented in college so that once they enter college, I want them to have seen it all. I want them to have seen, I want them to be uh, uh, thoroughly aware of uh, what, how, what kind of proofs to, their philosophy teachers are going to try to bring them against God. All right? I want them to be thoroughly aware of how we're supposed to uh, handle sexuality, right? How are we supposed to handle the questions of sexuality? I want them to be able to dice it up in nuanced uh, shades, right? So that they could not look like blockheads, right? And not lose their dean at the same time, right? So uh, out in college, colleges, if your kids are not educated in the dean before they go to college, right? If you relied on your local Sunday school, even your Islamic school, right? You might be in for a little bit of surprise. They're going to be in for a surprise and you might be in for a surprise uh, of the result because college is, you got a hundred groups out there trying to pull at your, uh, uh, at your soul and they want you. And we, the Muslims have to want them more. We have more to fight for, 
right? And that's why we're doing, I'm out there and trying to get involved in any type of media, right? And get the, the message out there at, uh, 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 through all the mediums. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I do see you eyeing your coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're drinking today? Uh, people, Muslims, they've gotten obsessed with coffee, to be honest with you. And when, when people say, why are you guys so obsessed? Firstly, everyone's obsessed with coffee. If you're on the eastern, west coasts, the life of I guess is so stressful. Allah Azza wa gave us a little gift, right? One guy told he said, well, "Why are you so obsessed with coffee, right? You don't you don't love anything else." And he gave an honest answer. He said, "Honestly, I love a lot of things, but most of them are haram, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right?" So I mean, that's uh, that's what it is. And 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 but you gotta be, be careful. Uh, we don't like any type of addictions, uh, especially if we're people of fasting. If you fast, you can't be addicted to anything, right? Uh, in Yemen. Coffee, the first people who discovered it were actually uh, Muslims in Yemen. And there is a dispute that some people say the Ethiopians, the Ethiopians are fighting for it, the Yemenis are fighting for it. Uh, Yemen was relevant in world history for about 90 years when they had coffee and no one else had it, right? The Ottomans, maybe it was a little bit more. I mean, um, uh, Mocha is a city, it's a port in Yemen, right? Mocha, it's a port in Yemen. Uh, and the beans, they're, they're, they're a little bit different. The uh, uh, it got it spread coffee spread through the uh, the worshippers. Is, it, is right? it true that it was called the Muhammadan bean? I've, I've heard this before. I, I in SOAS, I had to my professor in SOAS, he said, Your first assignment is on Imam al Haddad is to get out, check out every single book from the SOAS library, which is the fourth biggest library, uh, Islamic studies library, Islamic library. In the Western Hemisphere, was uh, University of London, so as he says, your job is to get every single English and Arabic historical source on Yemen and read them in the whole in the summertime. And I spent the summer; it was the summer of two thousand and three. I went uh, and and I had probably three piles of books, right around my desk, and one of them was uh, the history of coffee, right, because the Ottomans went and fought ninety years. Against the, uh, the, the the Shia, the Zaydis in the north, for control of the ports. After the Zaydis uh, uh, fought the Ottomans for ninety years, they got very good at war. As soon as the Ottomans left, right? As soon as the Ottomans backed out of it, the Zaydis were so strong they conquered the rest of Yemen, right? And that's why Imam al Haddad, in his lifetime, Tarim was conquered by the Z- the Zaydi Shia, and that's why he refused to be an Imam. Right, and that's why in the Ratib, in the famous dhikr uh, that Imam Haddad compiled, he compiled things that were sort of uh, antidotes, antidotes to Zaydi Zaydi because Zaydi Zaydi doesn't So he has a he has verse in there. He says, "Al Khair wa Shar bi Mashiatillah." Good and bad come from Allah Azza wa Jalla. Because the Mu'tazilite thought, rationalist thought, says that the good is from Allah, the evil is from ourselves. Right. It's a little bit of a diversion, but you know, you got a lot of these people. You know, they're they just gone nuts over coffee, and uh, it's a type of like a yuppie hippie thing. And it's one of the few things that Muslims actually have to be proud of is that they're. It's not even something that they have to be proud of. It grew in their countries. They didn't invent it, right? <laughs> it just happened to grow in their countries, Absolutely. and it's called the Arabica bean for that reason. But uh, coffee to me is one of the biggest namas. Uh, people are so weak. The iman of people is weak. Can't even wake up. That's how weak people are. Can't even wake up. So I think think that Allah gave us this as a rahmah. Huh? Butter. It's a barakah. <laughs> exactly. The, 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 the coffee growers of Yemen, 
they recite du'as. They have du'as for coffee. I mean, their whole wow. economy used wow. to be based on coffee, right? Their whole economy was based on coffee. And it's the only nama that they had down there, right? In uh, West Africa, it's the green tea, and in Yemen, it's the coffee. So they have fatihas that they recite, right? Uh, so, so another topic that I'd like to talk about before, before we, we do close here. And, uh, you know, so I was... Uh, you know, just getting the word out that we were going to start this Safina podcast, and naturally, a bunch of brothers asked me to talk about the topic of marriage. Marriage? Yes, yes. They they asked me, you know, you know what, what what what's what's wrong with the way we conduct marriage as as, as youth of today. <laughs> What, what? <laughs> and, 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 and when is Safina starting a matchmaking? Yeah, matchmaking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, trust me. <laughs> it, it, if I started a matchmaking operation, it would be very easy, right? You wouldn't have much choice. But uh, <laughs> so here's the th- the problem is this: the problem with most youth is they do it the the other the the wrong way, right? They come to me. Firstly, it's a pattern. Every few months, I get a brother. He says it's an emergency. Oh, really? I don't even know you, right? <laughs> and it's an emergency. Okay, so what is the emergency? We don't even know each other, but he's coming to me for an emergency. All right. I love a woman, but my mom said no. Right? This is the thing. I love a woman, so my mom said no. But my mom said no. Okay. So he did it backwards. He fell in love with someone before thinking. And this is just common sense, right? Just common sense. If you know for sure you got to go through your parents, this is if you have parents, if you have Muslim parents. If you're a convert, you have a different story. If you're like 40 years old and not married or you're 36, you're already making uh, a decent salary, it's different. But if you got this young guy, his dad's paying all his bills, okay? <laughs> he still goes, so he can't even go play flag football with his friends without asking his mom, right? And then he falls in love with someone before he even thinks about his parents. You don't have a crisis. You have stupidity, Okay. You are not in a crisis. You are in stupidity. Your crisis is your stupidity. It's just, think about it. It's common sense, right? You know for sure that your situation will require you to go through your mom and dad. You ask them, okay, are you willing to do it by yourselves? By yourself? So no, no, I would never, you know, uh, marry without my mom's uh, uh, happiness and approval. Okay, so you got a good head on your shoulder from that perspective. These people raised you. They spent money on you. And they have the right to be happy at your wedding, right? So, but then you went off and have a, developed a relationship with a woman for five months on the campus, right? Or online, and you fell in love and she fell in love. And then you never thought twice, all right, is this thing going to work with my family? So you want to bring two things together, but you went opposite ways, right? And now you want to bring them together. It's not going to work that way. So all I'm telling you is be logical. If in your life you need your parents' approval because you're still just a young guy, uh, you're sort of dependent upon them. I mean, in theory, you always want your parents to be happy. But once you're 40 years old, you're a guy 40 years old, you're a woman 40 years old, at that point, you're already out of the nest. Your parents aren't going to be much, uh, you know, they're not going to micromanage your situation. But you got a 20-year-old guy or a 23-year-old girl, okay, and their parents are very involved in their lives. All my advice is, my first piece of advice is, you know, use your noggin, use your brain, and think that if they're going to be involved, then you might as well, right? Consider that before you develop a relationship five months into some with someone, and then you come crying, right? And what do I do with these young people? You know, what do I do? I just tell them. You're, you you knew your family's going to be involved, but you you fell in love anyway without you know talking to them about it, knowing that they're not going to be involved. 
right? So uh, this is the first point of, of many different points that are practical points, right? Absolutely, and 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 I'm, and I, I guarantee you that you know we'll have more conversations about marriage in the future, as it's a very exciting topic. Um, but since uh, Isha is is around the corner now, and and, and we hear the adhan, inshallah, it's uh, about time that we wrap this up. So once I'd like to thank uh, our listeners today, inshallah. So please join us next time for our Safina Society podcast. We'll try to be regular on this, inshallah. It was a pleasure talking to you, Dr. Shadi, and it was a pleasure hearing from you. Inshallah, could you give us a small dua before we end? Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk, wa al-asudin al-insana la fi khus, illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu al-salihat, wa tawasubu al-haq, wa tawasubu al-sabr, assalamu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.